Amen. Okay, we're going to start today a four-week walkthrough in the eighth chapter of Romans. And I'm so excited about this. I have been looking forward to this sermon series literally for months because, you know, I love the entire word of God. Every day I come upon a scripture that just makes my heart leap or something that comforts me or something that helps me grow or something that reminds me who I am. All through God's word, there's just such wonderful stuff. But Romans 8, jam-packed, folks, with things that are useful for us in our lives. And so when I'm not feeling like I'm good enough, which not good enough is my middle name sometimes, or if I feel like I'm not useful by God, I go right to Romans 8.1. That's the verse we're going to study mostly today. When I need to be reminded that I'm a beloved child of the Most High God, Romans 8.14-17 fits that bill. When I need encouragement through my times of struggle, 8.18 always helps me shift my focus. And when I forget how to pray, Romans 8, 26 and 8, 27, when things in my life feel like they're just all going wrong, Romans 8, 28 reminds me that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called it according to his purpose. That is my life verse, as a matter of fact. Verse 31 reminds me that God is for me, and so who can be against me? And 32 reminds me that my greatest gift that he has ever given me was his son in 35 to 39 give me security when I feel afraid by reminding me that there is absolutely nothing in this world or any other that can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I would encourage you this week to read through if you can give it a nice good thorough read through chapter 8. It might not hurt you to try and memorize it If you can, there's just good stuff in there, and that's why Romans 8 has been called by many people the greatest chapter ever written in the Bible. Martin Luther said it like this. He said, if the Bible were a ring, then the the epistle of Paul to the Romans would be the diamond, and chapter 8 would be the brightest facet in the center of that diamond, and I like that. And so our chapter begins, Romans 8, with no condemnation. That's what we're going to talk about today. It tells us, as we move through it, that there is no desperation, there is no frustration, and it ends with no separation. And so that's kind of a roadmap of where we as a church family are going to go over the next four weeks. And the whole while, we're going to be reminded through the words of Romans 8 that the Holy Spirit is at work and we're going to be reminded of what this Holy Spirit does in us and for us. And our study partner in this sermon series has been Tom Holliday from the Cornerstone Church. And so let's dive right in. Today we're focusing on verses 1 to 4 and in them we're going to find some pretty compelling truths. The first is this. There is going to be struggle in the Christian life. I hate to break it to you. I hope it doesn't come as a surprise. But there's going to be struggle for us as we walk the Christian road. Now, the first word of this uh, chapter is therefore. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. And therefore is a word that connects two thoughts. Therefore, we need to go back to chapter 7 and see what is the second thought that Roman that uh, Paul is connecting to Romans 8.1. So I'm going to read it for you. Chapter 7, verses 25 to 28 say this and see if it resonates with any of you as it does with me. These are the words of Paul. 
I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind, and this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from the life that is dominated from sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And see, I think Paul is describing a struggle that I believe is part of many of our walks with God. We want to do good. We want to honor God. We want to keep from sinning. But we fall short over and over again. Why? Because we have this sinful nature. And so we struggle between what God desires for us to do and what we want to do. We struggle between God's will for us and our will for ourselves. I struggle literally all the time. It's just a part of being born into this sin-filled world. And nobody ever promised, nobody ever promised that struggle would be absent from the Christian life. The Bible certainly doesn't say that. Christians, in fact, struggle with issues all the time. We struggle with morality issues. We struggle with relationship issues. We struggle with financial difficulties and marital difficulties. And we struggle with sin. But we can take comfort in the fact that even Paul, who was an exemplary Christian, once he found Christ, even he struggled. And so none of us are immune but guess what? We also aren't left to be faced, uh, to be facing the struggles of Christian life all on our own either. Because there is a Holy Spirit at work in us that helps us through in many, many ways. And so here's some other facts that are helpful um, for us to consider this morning. Our struggle, because we're all going to face it, is without condemnation. That's the best news that I'm going to give you all day. So in chapter 7, Paul said, I struggle, but the answer is found in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I struggle, but therefore, there is no condemnation because of Jesus Christ. So now it's interesting to read this, um, this scripture in the original Greek. You will hear me very often go back to the Greek in order to better understand a scripture that I'm speaking on. Um, because in the original Greek, it just uh, says what the writer desired. So uh, in, in, when this was translated from Greek to English, the translators changed the order of the words so that it would make sense to us in our English language. But what they would do in the Greek is that there was a word that was particularly important that the writer wanted to emphasize and drive home. He would take it from the sentence and he would say it first. It would be the first word of the sentence. And so really, when Paul wrote this letter, the first word he wrote wasn't the therefore. The first word he wrote was no. It was no. Because he wanted to drive no home. And he used a super strong tense of the word no. So the word no in Greek is o, o, o u. Paul uses the word odice, odice, which means more like none whatsoever. 
Not a bit, not a drop, not. And so let me give you an idea of the severity of Paul's no in this passage. One day my daughter is about 15 years old. She came to me and she said, Mom, um, any chance you'd let me get a tattoo of Craig's name on my wrist for my 16th birthday? And uh, here was my answer. <clears throat> there is absolutely, positively, unequivocally, no chance whatsoever in a million years that I'm going to let you get a boy's name tattooed on your body. Oh, dice was my answer. Okay, so see how strong Paul's word, oh, dice was? Paul is saying no. No, there is absolutely, positively, no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. You are not condemned if you are in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is saying, okay? So let me tell you what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that there is therefore now no cause for condemnation for us. That is not true because we do fail. Because we do stumble, we do fall short, and we do sin. We stray off the right path, every single one of us. And to be honest, if God looks down at any one of us, he does see ways in which we fail and fall short and sin. And so there is cause. There's plenty of cause for condemnation. Paul isn't saying there is no cause for condemnation, because we do deserve it. Paul also isn't saying, therefore, there is no failure. For those who are in Christ Jesus, because guess what? We don't fail. He's not saying, therefore, there is no struggle for those who are in Christ Jesus, because guess what? We're going to struggle. And he isn't saying, therefore, there is no stumbling for those who are in Christ Jesus, because we're going to stumble. You and I can just know that we're going to stumble and struggle and fall and fail. But what Paul is saying is this. There is therefore now no condemnation. There is no punishment. There is no coming into judgment. There is no penalty of eternal separation from God for those who are in Christ Jesus. We all know that the wages of sin is death, but for the follower of Christ Jesus, there's none of that. Oh, dice, Paul says, not a bit. And so that means that you and I may stumble and fall and trip, and we may make a million mistakes as we walk through this life. We may sin, we may stray from the right path, but if we're a believer in Christ Jesus, God is not going to hold it against you. He's just not going to hold it against you. When Jesus gave his life for your salvation and mine, he didn't take away our propensity for all that sin that we struggle with. He took away the penalty. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is good news for you and me. Here's some more good news. God does not reject you when you stumble. Sometimes I fail at living a godly life. And I feel like when I do, I'm a bad person. Like... Maybe God wouldn't want anything to do with me because I'm kind of a failure when it comes to holy living. But God does not reject us when we struggle. Jesus illustrated that for us when he told the parable of the lost son. You know the story. The son asked the father, 
for his inheritance early, basically saying, I wish you were dead, give me your money now. And then he went off to the far country, and what he did, he lived a partying life, and he spent the inheritance until he found himself in a pig pen. He hit rock bottom. And then he finally decided to turn to his father for help. And where does Jesus tell us that that father was when that son returned home? Was he sitting on the porch, pursing his lips, shaking his head? He was not. He was running down the road to welcome him. He welcomed him and he did not reject him. And that, folks, is a picture of you and me and our Father in heaven. When we fail and we sin and we fall short, but we turn back to God, he welcomes us and he doesn't reject us. There is no rejection for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's face it, God knows everything you've done. And he knows everything I've done. And he still loves us anyway. We're still in the family. And the moment that you and I say, I will arise and go back to my father, that's the exact moment that he will say, kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. My child who was lost and on the wrong path has been found. He was away and now he has come home. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which means there is no rejection for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's another important point. God is not angry with you when you struggle. He is not angry with you when you struggle. You know, when I fail and I fall short in sin, I do it again and again, and I get mad at myself. I want to be better. And what I do is I take all this guilt and I heap it upon myself and I beat myself up. And then guess what I start to do? I question, is God as mad at me as I am at myself? And even though the enemy would want me to think that, yes, he is, I can tell you, no, he is not. God is not angry at all. And you will understand this concept if you have ever had children or grandchildren. What do we do when our kids are toddling around and they're learning how to walk? They grab onto the couch, they pull themselves up, right? They get their balance, and then they venture out and they try to take a step. And what inevitably happens? Oh, they fall down on their hiney, right? So they pull themselves back up and they do it again and they try and take another stop. Plop, they fall down on their hiney. So they do it again. And eventually they get three or four steps together. And then eventually they walked. We have all watched our kids go this, through this process, have we not? Okay. How many of us have spanked their kids or punished them because they fell down on their hind? Anybody raise your hand? There are no hands. Because that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? It would be ridiculous. If you saw someone doing that to their kid, you would think that they are not a good parent. Because a good parent doesn't spank them for falling, but cheers them up when they got up and tried again. That's what no condemnation means. God is a good father who does not get angry with you and me because we struggle and sometimes fall. But he sees us when he falls. He reaches out with his arm of grace to help us back up. He doesn't condemn you. He cheers you on as you pick yourself back up and try to walk the righteous path again. So God doesn't reject you when you stumble. And he isn't angry with you when you struggle. And one more point, God doesn't punish you when you fail. 
Carl and I used to spend a lot of time at the hockey rink when our kids were young. I was the team mom. Carl was one of the coaches of the elementary age team. And those little ones, they were like from, what, six years old all the way up to fifth grade. And they were just learning how to play the game. Some of them were so tiny, their jerseys, normal-sized jerseys, the smallest one we'd get, come all the way down to their ankles, didn't it, Carl? And it's hard when you're that little to learn how to skate and balance yourself on those blades and learn the rules of the game and learn how to use the stick and control the puck and which end to shoot at. And I will never forget the day when our littlest player, six-year-old Max, got confused and um, he shot the puck and he was a good shot, man, for a six-year-old kid. But he scored against his own team. He shot on the wrong goal. But you know what was so cute? You know when the kids, they watch what the older peers do. And when they would score, they were like, throw their stick up in the air. And they would cheer. And Max, he let his stick up in the air. He was cheering. Like, ah, scored. And then when he realized that he had scored against himself, um, he threw the stick down and threw himself on the ice and started to cry. But let me tell you, Carl and the other coaches, um, and even the teammates, even his older teammates, they didn't him they just high-fived him and they cheered him on anyway and they told him what a great shot max that was such a good shot and it's okay because next time you're gonna get it in the right goal and they pointed out that's the right goal down there that's the one you should shoot for so even though max had made a mistake that encouragement that he had taken a good shot had that kid grinning from ear to ear and that's what God does for you and me folks when we fail he helps us back up. He tells us where we went wrong. He points us in the right direction and he puts us back in the game. And that's what Paul means when he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some Christians struggle through their entire lives carrying an unnecessary load of guilt. Not just because they struggle, but because they feel unworthy or they feel like they're worthy only of punishment. But let me tell you, God will discipline you for your own growth and for your own benefit, but he will never punish you when you try and you fail. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You want to know why? I can tell you why. Because Jesus took the condemnation for us. Jesus took the punishment for us. Jesus paid the sin debt for us. So the guilt that you and I had placed upon ourselves, he took and he heaped it upon himself so that you and I would not bear it anymore. Can you see why I love Romans 8, 1? Well, let me tell you what verses 8, 2 to 4 tell us. They tell us that God has made a provision for you and me to be victorious, even in the midst of our struggles. So it's easy to think that when you're continually struggling with a particular sin or when particular thoughts keep coming into your mind that are unwelcome to you, that you're not going to come out victorious because those thoughts and those temptations keep taunting and tormenting you until finally you stumble. And it is quite possibly true that if you and I were left to our own strength and our own abilities to come against those thoughts and tormenting taunts, that... Uh, temptations, we're not going to win. We're not going to be victorious against sin and temptation. But guess what? We are not left to our own abilities. And we are not left to our own strength. God doesn't leave us on our own to fight these things because when you are in Christ Jesus, God gives you his Holy Spirit 
the spirit of life. Paul goes on to say in verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So the work of the Holy Spirit gives you freedom from the law that seeks to drag you down. How? I'm going to tell you. I want you to notice that Paul sets two things to oppose each other in this, in this verse. He has the law of the Spirit and the law of sin and death. Okay, On one side, you got the law of the Spirit. And the other side, you got the law of sin and death. And one law cancels out the other law. The law of the Spirit gives you freedom over the law of sin and death. Now, to help you understand this concept, I'm going to tell you what a, um, a commentator told me, and it really helped me. We're going to think about uh, Israel when they were being delivered by God away from Egypt through the Red Sea. Okay? So Israel, you know the story. Israel was fleeing from Egypt. Ahead of them was the Promised Land. Behind them was the Egyptian army that was trying to come and bring them back and keep them in slavery. And in between uh, Israel and the Promised Land stood the Red Sea. That was a problem because there was a lot of water in the Red Sea. And the Red Sea was not something that they would be able to easily cross. That water was held in place by a law of gravity. Held it down, held it where it belonged, right? So God told Moses, raise up your staff. And when Moses raised up his staff, the scripture tells us that a mighty wind came from the east, the east wind, and it blew across the waters of the Red Sea. And it blew so hard that it caused the waters to rise up and be held back so that the people could cross. And as long as the east wind blew, the law of gravity was overcome by the law of the east wind. And the people were delivered to safety, to freedom. They were freed because the law of the east wind was mightier at that time than the law of gravity. And then when Israel finished crossing through, what happened? The wind died down and the waters crashed down and Egypt drowned in the sea. The law of gravity was still there, but it was superseded by the law of the east wind of Almighty God. Paul is saying, and I hope I've made it a little clearer, that the Holy Spirit will set you free from the law of sin and death because the law of the Spirit is greater. And the moment that you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, you got the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death that seeks to defeat you. Because the law of the Spirit is greater. Guess what that means? It means you don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to sin anymore. We don't have to live a life that is defeated by sin or thoughts or temptation anymore. Because the victory is ours through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can call upon the Holy Spirit to help you say no when temptation knocks on your door. And you can rely on the Holy Spirit to guide you in the right way. God's Spirit is at work in you, helping you to sin no more. Because that's what we're commanded to do as Christians. I want to call your attention to John 8. Remember, this is a story... John tells us of a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and she was brought to Jesus and the religious leaders were trying to trip Jesus up. And so they said to him, well, the law says that she should be stoned to death for what she has done. 
what do you say? And you know, Jesus bent down, wrote for a few minutes in the dirt. And he said to them, let the one among you who has no sin cast the first stone. And one by one, what did they do? They all left until it was just Jesus and the woman. And he said to her, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? No one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I. Now, I want us to understand that Jesus was the only person in that gathering who had lived a sinless life. He was the only one who would have been rightful in casting a stone. He was the only one who could have passed down a sentence of condemnation. And he said, neither do I. By his grace and his mercy, he did not condemn her. And he said to her, sin no more. And what I want us to know today is that the only one who has the right to condemn us, because the enemy will try it every day, he will try to tell you that you're condemnable. The only one who has the right to condemn us did not do so, but rather took our condemnation upon himself. He said to me, and he said to you, go and sin no more. And then he didn't just leave it at that, folks. Because then he gave us the means to do exactly what he asked us to do. He gave us the Holy Spirit that works in us and helps us overcome our propensity to sin. And so what do we do with all this, you and me? That was a lot of information I just gave you, is it not? Here's what you're going to do with it. First, I'm going to tell you how I've lived my life. Um, I speak from as a person who has stumbled and fallen and sinned and given into temptation and uh, I've just fallen short of what I think God expects of me and what I expect of myself and I speak from that personal experience. You know, I tell myself I'm not good enough to be useful in God's kingdom, that I'm just some weakling and God shouldn't want anything to do and since I'm not good enough, then guess what I do? I just keep doing the sin, right? And I get myself trapped in this cycle of sin and guilt and deceit. And I just get stuck there. Does anybody, can, can anybody identify with that? That's why I love this cluster of verses that we're looking at today. They remind me that no, there is absolutely, positively, unequivocally, no condemnation. God is not mad at me. God does not reject me. God does not punish me, and he doesn't want me to punish myself. But rather, God has forgiven me, and he has freed me, and he has empowered me to walk better in him. And I believe that the same is true for you. Whether you beat yourself up like I do or not, the same is true for you. Do not let yourself get caught up in that cycle of guilt and shame and sin. But look to the Lord Jesus, who has made you clean, who has made you whole, who has made you faultless, and who has made you his own. Receive his Holy Spirit and allow that very spirit to move in you, to strengthen you, and to change the way you think and act in God's kingdom. God's given you the Holy Spirit the moment you placed your faith and trust in Jesus. But we have to do something with that too. 
We have to allow the Spirit to move. We have to walk with the Spirit and be pliable to the Spirit's work in our lives. That's our job. That's what we are to do with this. Know that we've got the Spirit. Know that we're called to sin no more. And then follow the Spirit in doing exactly that. What you and I need to do with this is that we need to allow ourselves to be set free from the law of sin and death and from guilt and from condemnation. Man, I love Romans chapter 8. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't just leave us to fight our sinful nature on our own, but that you give us your spirit to guide and direct us and to give us a new nature and a new idea of who we are. Help us, Lord, not to beat ourselves up, but to look to you, to be pliable to your spirit and to sin no more. We love you, God. We offer you ourselves this day in Jesus' name. Amen.